Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's, uh, I suppose, the, the image I want you to have. You know when you have a puzzle book, you have a join the dots? So you go from number one to dot number two and eventually number three. And as you draw that picture, eventually it becomes clear what it is. Well, I have to tell you, I am really excited by this. I think every church in the land ought to be doing the Bible course. And I'm thrilled that we are, as a church, going through that. And even more so in the life groups as well. And if you're not in a life group, maybe it will be worth just finding out one near you to just go through this because even in the life groups we have so much more that we seem to sort of uh, pick out of the scriptures and it it's that joining the dots that seems such an amazing thing even to me I've been a Christian for 56 years and it never ceases to amaze me every time you go to the scriptures there's something fresh coming out. If we put up a verse of scripture to begin with from Hebrews chapter 4, um, verse 2. Can we have that? The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And it's living, and it's so thrilling to be part of a church that's studying the Word of God. And the other thing about it, too, in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And it's the Holy Spirit of God who uses the men of God to write the Word of God. And so every time we come to the Scriptures, they can speak to us. They really can. And it's important that I think we, we study all this together. And so that's what we're doing. We're discovering it's not just a history lesson. We're discovering in all of this an amazing God who loves us, who says from cover to cover of the Bible, I shall be your God, you will be my people. And as you unpick that, as we join the dots up, so we get that bigger picture that God is a God who loves us, and wants us for himself. And uh, we have been studying this week by week. And last week, Catherine left us in the promised land. Here she is. It's true, isn't it? You're an angel. But that, she left us there in the promised land. And how we should be working out our salvation uh, in the fruitfulness of that. 
And then we come to this stage here of the judges, and that circle implies actually there are the times with the people of God where they were at peace, and then they started doing their own thing and rebelled. And so God brought judgment upon them. And then uh, eventually, as they cried out to God, help us, and we're sorry, then he brought in lots of judges, rulers, to help and rescue them. People like uh, Samson and Gideon and people like that. And then we come to the stage of the kings. And Samuel, the last judge, appointed Saul and then David, and finally it was Solomon. Those were the kings of the time. And in David's reign, there was a promise given to David, I will raise up your offspring after you. I will establish the throne of your kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And there is a hint already of what's going to come hundreds of years later, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we're at at the moment. We're here after the kings because uh, Solomon built the temple and it was a wonderful time of wealth and growth and expansion until such time as Solomon and his son Rehoboam started taxing people very heavily because they were building this vast temple for God. And it was from that moment on that things became very dark. In fact, the darkest period in the history of Israel. And there was a civil war happening and 10 of the tribes went north and two tribes down here uh, David and Jude, Judah, down the bottom here, um, were, went eventually into exile. These dear people were defeated by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, and they ceased exist existence. And so that was the end of the northern kingdom. But the Davidic line, the promise of David that there would be an offspring, continued along here. And during this difficult, dark time, God brought some prophets to come. And e eventually, they were not only um, over overwhelmed by the Babylonians, they were taken off into exile. And it was a terrible time. And one of the major prophets we've heard already at this time that God sent was this prophet Isaiah. And that's where we're at, at this particular point. And the Isaiah prophet often spoke of the judgment to come. It's not gonna be a good time. Just look at how you've behaved. But also alongside that was uh, not just a warning of judgment, but hope. There's going to be something so much better that's coming. The best is yet to come. 
And that's where we're at with this first scripture in Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Now the situation at that time, this is 700 years before Christ. But there's a promise there, not simply to the reigning king of the time, King Ahaz, here, but also a promise that would be filled, fulfilled 700 years later. And that's where we're at in that first scripture. Ahaz was under threat from the northern kingdom, these people here, the other ten tribes, who'd linked with Syria and were threatening to destroy the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. And Isaiah approached Ahaz with this, um, this word, just do as God asks you to do. Don't do as men do. Don't try and make alliances with some of the enemy so you can get peace. You listen to what God is saying. And he wouldn't listen. And so in the end, Isaiah gave King Ahaz that promise that there would be a virgin who would give rise to a son. And eventually he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so that's where we are, 700 years before Jesus Christ. And the whole of this Advent teaching is to look at some of the Old Testament prophets leading into the New Testament. And this is just one of several that we'll be looking at over this next two or three weeks. And that particular promise comes, as we've seen already, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 22 and 23. Where <clears throat> here we have um, not just uh, a promise of someone giving, being given birth to who was a virgin, but it's actually implying that it's God's son, God with us. And Joseph is given even more details, call him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. And so we have here the meaning Jesus, meaning Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, saving the people of Israel. Yahweh saves. And that's what Matthew is trying to say here. And Matthew's gospel is full of Old Testament quotes. He's writing to Jewish re uh, readers and leaders, and he's saying to them, look, look at the Old Testament. Look at all our history. Can you not see how God is going to fulfill his promises of the Old Testament in Jesus Christ. 
And Matthew's gospel has 12 occasions where he takes an Old Testament prophecy and it points to Jesus Christ. In fact, I think he quotes 47 times the Old Testament and most of them are pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And they go back hundreds of years before this particular passage. Uh, I read somewhere a mathematician tried to look at the odds of the, all the prophecies in Matthew's gospel coming true. And uh, you can do this with the laws in mathematics. And you know it's one chance in not just a million, which is six noughts, but one chance in one followed by 157 noughts. Trillion, 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 trillions chances that all those prophecies would actually come true. And Matthew has got 12 of them. And if you take all those 12 pointing to Jesus you can see the laws of chance. And the mathematician in the end wrote, it must be Jesus. <laughs> it could only be God. Um, the chances of it all happening in that way. And very briefly, because we're short of time, I want us to go to the end of Matthew's Gospel. And the final sentence echoes again that Old Testament promise being fulfilled. So this is Matthew 28, if we could have that one up on the screen. This is at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus gathering the disciples after the resurrection on the Mount of Ascension. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. Everything. And uh, he says right at the end that actually, look, I am with you, every one of you, always, to the very end of time. Can you see how the God of the Old Testament, who promises always to be with his people, Yahweh, by the end of Matthew's Gospel, Emmanuel, God with us, means Jesus with us as well. Not God the Father, Yahweh, but actually Jesus being with us as well. But if you think about it, how is that going to happen? How is it that Jesus, who is resurrected and ascending into heaven, is going to be with us for always, to the end of time? And I go back to Jesus' teaching in John chapter 14. And verses 15 to 17, 
Because whilst Jesus was teaching his disciples, he himself spoke of what would happen when he returned to his father. If you love me, keep my commandments, I will ask the father. He will give you another advocate or counselor to help you to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, and for he lives with you, and he will be in you. And there is the clue to what Jesus is saying about how God can be with us for eternity, even though Jesus is leaving this earth. And then we know how that happened, and there isn't time this morning to talk about it. But we know Pentecost came in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter was saying we have to repent and be baptized. And when we do confess our sins, we will be receiving the gift of God's Spirit within us with us for all time. Can you see now, not only have we got God the Father, Yahweh, we also have the promise of Jesus being with us always. But now we have the Spirit being with us as well. So the promises in the Old Testament, Emmanuel, God with us, have been fulfilled. And this is what Matthew was pointing to as he's pointed to Jesus. And this is what Jesus was pointing to about Pentecost and you and I being filled with the Spirit. And I think we tend not to go through life thinking that we have the very presence of God within us. We carry the Spirit of God as Christians. If we love him, acknowledge what he's done on the cross, we have the Spirit within us. When you go shopping, when you meet strangers, when you're at work, wherever it is, you carry the Spirit of God within you. And Paul, I have to finish now, but Paul, in his uh, teaching, uh, in the epistles, particularly in Galatians chapter 5, is talking about since we live by the Spirit, and sometimes he uses the word walk by the Spirit or be led by the Spirit, he says this particular thought, which is a, a, where we, I think most of us fail the Lord. Keep in step with the Spirit. Why does he say that? Well, he says that because we have the Spirit of God within us. And we are forgiven of our sins, but it, we're not perfect yet. The promise is that when he returns, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But between now and then, actually, he's got a lot of work to do in each one of us. 
through his spirit and his spirit is to make us more like Jesus Christ and you know and I know that as we go through life we so often fail him we sin we grieve him we hurt him we go against his wishes and that's why Paul says come on let's live by the spirit but the important thing is always keep in step with the Spirit. And I love this time of Advent because we can reflect on all of that, on the amazing God who actually came himself. And that's what Advent is about, looking at the coming of the Lord Jesus. But it's also reflecting too on the second coming when he returns to put everything right and to see his complete kingdom fulfilled. I've gone on much longer than I should. But can you see how important it is to have the word of God and the spirit of God hand in hand in our lives? It's crucial. It's not a history lesson. It's actually a relationship with God of studying his word, allowing his word to speak to us because it's living and active. And it's also allowing his spirit to go on working within us. But our challenge is always to keep in step with what he wants us to do. Tell you one brief story to finish. A member of our home group was really unwell. The leaders had gone on holiday and Jackie and I just had the thought, we must go and visit a member of, our uh, of the congregation in our group. And we went the next day. We felt compelled to go. We felt that was a prompting of the Spirit. When we arrived to see this dear lady who could hardly walk, she'd just received her delivery from Tesco. Loads of frozen meals. By the time this dear lady had put all of those into her freezer, she could hardly move. All that frozen food would have been melted and had to be thrown away because she could hardly move. And yet we just arrived at the right moment of time and were able to put it all away in the freezer and put it all in the cupboards for her. That was a simple little prompting of keeping in step with the Spirit. We need to be listening to what God is doing in our lives. And it can be in the ordinary things of life. It's the ordinary, everyday things of life that God can speak to us. And we let him down so often because we don't keep in step with what he's telling us to do.